and early this morning to air the sanctuary out just so you could come and worship comfortably. I, yeah, yeah. I, there's some amazing, amazing people in our church that love you and love Jesus. And, and, and they do it without any fanfare. They do it without any need for recognition. I, I almost don't want to say their names because I think they'll be embarrassed at the fact that they did it and they didn't want to draw attention to themselves. I'm so thankful, so thankful for every single one of them. Listen, if you are a regular at our church and you don't have a job or ministry to do, that's a problem. Yeah, I'm going to say it again. See, we're a family here. Can I get an amen? And I say this all the time. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a family where everybody had a chore. My little Noah, who is not about to be nine now. Jenny, I'm not going to make a mistake about my kids' ages. <laughs> These kids, when they were three or four, there's no sitting at the dinner table and asking mom and dad to serve you. We don't do that in our house. Three years old, four years old, they were taught, grab some napkins, grab some forks and some knives and spoons, and set the table. Get the water. And my oldest now, he's my sous chef. He's helping me cook. Listen, I say this lovingly and gently and yet firmly. There's too many of you coming on Sundays and not enough of you serving on Sundays. I'm going to say it again. There are too many of you who come on Sundays, and, which means that there is stress on those of us who serve on Sundays. We need you to get involved. Please. After each service on Sunday, we have our amazing women of New Community, as well as men, who are at Newcomb Central, Connection Stable, all over the place, who are just dying to talk to you about ways to get involved. Please, please, please get involved. Okay, I'm done. No applause or clapping for that? Okay, well, all right. No, I don't need cheap applause. I'm not doing that to get your applause. A couple of things real quick before I launch in. Um, I saw my doctor this week, and uh, many of you know I've been struggling with depression. So I finally saw him this week, and uh, we're on a journey of trying to decide on some sort of medication. Um, so I could use your prayers for the doctors and for all the people involved. You know, doctor, uh, my doctor, I was going to say his name. Jenny, is that legal for me to say his name? I don't know. Anyway, my doctor, and I have a really cool relationship. We haven't seen each other for years. <laughs> Makes me sound like I'm dating him. We've known each other. We've seen each other for 20-some years. He... Uh, you know what he said to me? As far as I know, I don't think he's a believer. You know what he said to me this week as we're talking about it, and I did the whole, yeah, can you, can you, can you believe it? I mean, I struggle. Me, I struggle with depression. Other people, me. He smiled. You know what he said to me? He goes, Peter, I think this will make you a better pastor. I was like, what? He's like, yeah. I think this will make you a better pastor. You have those moments when God speaks through somebody. Look, if God spoke through Balaam's donkey, 
And I ain't saying my doctors, God could speak through anybody, including people who might not even know Jesus. Are you listening? My prayer is that God will do a wonderful work in me because as I mentioned to you guys before, be appropriately concerned for me and continue to pray for me. But as I pray and as I pursue actively healing in every way, I just hear the voice of God saying, my grace is sufficient for you. And my strength will be made perfect in your weakness. And I love you, Peter. I just hear that voice. So I journey with him. Renowned acoustic ecologist. Do you know that there are such people? Renowned acoustic ecologist Gordon Hempton put together, and I'll put it up here, the list of the last great quiet places. He compiled the places in the United States where there are at least 15 minutes of uninterrupted silence. 15. 15 minutes in the entire country. And by the way, did you know that according to interruption science, and yes, there are such things. According to interruption science, you and I are interrupted every three minutes. So, let me ask you, how many places do you think he found in the entire country with at least 15 minutes of uninterrupted silence? Take a guess. 22, 12, 12 places in the entire country where you experience 15 minutes of uninterrupted silence. I've been saying all along to you this sermon series that chronic noise just might be the greatest impediment to our spiritual growth. You know what's so encouraging? I had a guy in our church, he's sitting right here, who texted me, and he said, I'm driving to Milwaukee, about an hour and 20 minute drive, and guess what I'm doing? Nothing. Radio's off, cell phone's off, and I am just still and quiet. Is it any surprise? that there are over 1,500 references to listen or hear in the entire Bible. 1,500 times the Bible says, listen or hear, listen, hear, listen, hear. Here's a tricky thing about listening. You ready for this? Listening is tricky in that when you're not listening, you don't know that you're not listening and that's why you're not listening. Let me say that again. Listening is chicken that when you're not listening, you don't know that you're not listening. That's why you're not listening. How many times have I had this conversation with my wife over the 21 years of our marriage? Peter, did you hear what I said to you? I told you about that. Fill in the blank. To which I go, what? No, I don't remember you saying. Anybody? Anybody? See, I didn't know that I wasn't listening. That's why what? I, weren't li- I wasn't listening. And the tricky thing is, if you know that you're not listening, you're actually what? Listening. Could it be that God is speaking to you, child, but you're not listening because you don't know that you're not listening?
Well, I'm listening. Really? See, I'm not an acoustic ecologist, but I do know this. In our day and age, it's almost impossible to listen to God without being still and silent. Well, I'm listening, really. Do you then carve out time and space in your life to be still and to be silent? It takes so little to distract us. I neglect God and his angels for the noise of a fly, said the famed English poet John Donne. Silence is not passive waiting, it's proactive listening. If we're not creating space just to be still and to be silent in God's presence, chances are you and I are not, what? Listening. Are you realizing that listening doesn't happen by default, but it could only happen through desire? You have to seek it. You have to want it. You have to prioritize it. You have to be intentional about it. Otherwise, it will never happen. You have to ruthlessly eliminate distractions. You have to intentionally turn down the noise in your life or tune them out altogether. How many of you have ever gone on a social media fast where you just stopped the noise pollution? Yeah, Peter, but I'm one of those people, I'm afraid of silence. Anybody? I'm afraid of silence because I'm afraid of what I might hear. Can anybody relate to this? What if God actually speaks? Can anybody relate to this? What if God actually speaks and he tells me to go there and do that? and give up that, and break up with eh, and what if God actually speaks? Where does that come from? I'll tell you where it comes from. So many of us have, and this is why we struggle with silence and stillness. We have this image of a killjoy God, who doesn't care about the desires of our hearts, who frankly delights in making us absolutely miserable, who's constantly disappointed in us. And I don't care who you are, if that's your view of God, the chances are you're not hearing God very much. Because here's the first step towards hearing God. And I'm speaking to two people that I talked to last week. Listen in if the rest of you want to pay attention. They said, I want to hear from God, Pastor Peter. I'm praying about my future. Where, what? Uh, and I said, the first step towards hearing from God is you have to be wide open and receptive to what God might have to say. Let me say that again. The only way to hear from God is a posture, we sang about it all morning, that says, I'm wide open and I am receptive to God to whatever you have to say. But you know what our prayer is? Our prayer is, God, I really want to know your will. I want to know where to go and what to do. So please tell me and I'll consider it. And here's what I know about God. God never speaks for consideration. God only speaks for cooperation. 
God never speaks so that you and I could go, I'll think about that. God speaks when you and I are submitted and surrendered to say, let your will be done. If you will get your posture to let your will be done, God's voice will be so deafeningly loud, you will not know what to do. How do we become wide open and receptive to what God has to say? And by the way, and I've said this repeatedly, if you're not willing to hear everything that God has to say, eventually you won't hear anything that God has to say. And sometimes the things that we want to hear the least are the very things that we need to hear the what? Most. How do we get to a place of being wide open and receptive to what God has to say? It's about trust. It's about trust. You have to come to a place of fully being assured of his goodness and his reckless radical love for you. And I don't mean goodness in some generic, God is good all the time, all the time he is good. I'm talking about goodness as in I am assured that he loves me. I am assured that he is for me. I am assured that he has good intentions for me. I am assured of his goodness and his love for me. And you and I struggle believing that God is loving. Because someone represented him in a way that misrepresented him. But the truth of scriptures is that the same voice that spoke over his son Jesus is the same voice that speaks over us. Is that good news to anybody? And what did Jesus hear? We've seen this again and again and again. Luke 3, 21. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. Child of God, is the voice from heaven the loudest voice in your life? Is the voice from heaven the loudest voice in your life? Because you and I will be shaped by the loudest voices in our lives. Whose voice is the loudest in your life? And remember, God speaks the loudest when we are the what? Quietest. What does Jesus hear? Listen to this, you guys. You're my son. You're my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Only two times in the entire Gospels where we have a record of God the Father saying something to the Son. Only twice. This here is recorded three times in the Gospels. Isn't that something? So if there's something that we want to know about, what does God say to the Son? What is God? Here's what Jesus hears before launching into ministry. You're my son. And I want you to notice something. God's words to Jesus are not directional. They're not, hey, Jesus, I want you to go here. To which... 90% of us, that's what I want to know. Where do I, where do I need to go? God, nah, that's not what Jesus hears. It's also not instructional. It's not do this. So check this out, you guys. The two things that you and I are the most important things in our lives. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? God goes, that's not what you need to hear. What do you need to hear? I love you. I am for you. I am pleased with you. 
I delight in you. But what about where and what? We'll get to that. I love you. I am for you. I delight in you. But my future. Because when you and I are assured of his love, I'm wide open and totally receptive to what God has to say. If this is good news, will you clap? If this is good news, this is such amazing news. The voice from heaven is love. It's wisdom. It's healing. It's power. It's joy. His voice is all powerful, but his voice is all loving. I love the Song of Songs. 516, his mouth is sweetness itself. You know what I noticed about voice of someone that I love when I was dating my wife and we were doing long distance and we didn't have FaceTime and texting. We had good rotary dial phone. That's what we had. You know what you love? When you hear the voice of someone that you love, don't you want to hear it again and again and again and again? Those three, four, or five in the morning conversations. The amazing thing is when you hear the voice of God, speaking over you, you want to hear it again and again and again and again and again and again. His mouth is sweetness itself. Oh man, he is so good. He is so good. Why would you not? Why would you not want to be still and be silent? We're on the series, Sacred Rhythms, Solitude, Silence, Stillness, and Sabbath. And we've said the solitude is a practice of being absent from people and things in order to attend to God. Real quick, please don't mistake solitude and isolation. Isolation. Some of you are like, I'm amazing at solitude. Uh-uh. 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 Isolation is a tool of the enemy where you're disconnected from God and people. Isolation kills you spiritually. Solitude gives you life. Solitude, silence, the practice of quieting every inner and outer voice to attend to God. Next week, I'll talk a little bit about, for some of us, the inner voice is the real distraction, the inner voice of condemnation, the inner voice of criticism, the inner voice of you're never going to be enough, the inner voices of all that we've heard in our entire lives that is so deafeningly loud that keeps us from being still and silent to hear the voice of love. We're on 1 Kings 19, and before you turn to that, can I tell you what happened last night? My son goes, Daddy, what are we preaching on this morning, Sunday? And he looked at my laptop, and he saw PowerPoint of 1 Kings 19, and he goes, oh, 1 Kings 19, we've been on it forever. He didn't quite do that. Do you know why I've been sitting on this this summer? Because we never get to the bottom of the Bible. Do you know that the rabbinic tradition says that every word of scripture has 70 faces and 600,000 meanings? Let me say that again. According to rabbinic tradition, the very words that we're going to look at, each word had 70 faces and 600,000 meanings. That's why whenever you read it, no matter how many times you read it, it's timeless and always timely. We never get to the bottom of the Bible. The Bible gets to the bottom of us. The goal of Bible knowledge isn't Bible knowledge. The goal of Bible knowledge is intimacy with God so that you and I become familiar with his voice. Can I get an amen? 
That's why I'm teaching you to just sit with the same scripture, to allow every word. To go. And I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said something like, a Bible that's falling apart belongs to someone who isn't. Please dig into the word. It is our life. It is our authority. It is our hope. First Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. First Kings 18. The greatest triumph in Elijah's life where God rains on fire, prophets of Baal are killed, and he's at the height of his ministry. Verse 2, but Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me be ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Verse 3, and Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. You know what I noticed this week? I noticed that Elijah's triggered. Just give me like two minutes on this. I noticed Elijah's triggered. One person's attack or criticism triggers this downward spiral emotionally and mentally. Can I just ask a quick question before we move on? Anybody know what that's like? Boss, spouse, friend, spiritual mentor, somebody. Someone says something or someone does something. And you may have had an amazing day, but just that criticism sends you into a downward spiral, a spiral emotion. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Can I just ask you a quick question before my, How long are you going to ignore that? How, how am I going to ignore that dynamic of what is it about that person and what is it about that criticism that whenever it's spoken or done sends me into this downward thing and I just can't. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Say, so, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so the question is, when are you going to have the courage to address that in community with God and maybe a therapist? Because you know what happens when we don't. It just adds layers and layers to the false self that lives in denial. Verse, uh, we'll keep going, verse 3. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush and sat down under and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than any of my ancestors. And he lay under a bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey. The journey you're about to go on is way too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Now, we've been talking a lot about God caring for him. But I want to just say this. At the end of this chapter, we see God sending Elijah on an incredibly important mission. Elijah's thinking, I'm done with God, and God's going, Elijah, I'm not quite done with you. Is that good news to anybody? Elijah's going, God, I am a failure. I'm through. I've made too many mistakes. I've let your people down. I let you down. I'm done. And God goes, actually, no, Elijah, I've got tons to go before I'm done with you. So I don't know who you are, but somebody walked in here this morning this close to saying, God, I think I'm done with you and this Christianity thing. And I just want to tell you something that I heard from the Lord. I don't know who it's for. But scripture says, and he is faithful to finish what he started in you. So the amazing thing is, you and I walked in there going, I'm done with God. And God's going, I'm not done with you. 
The goodness of the gospel says that God believes in us more than we believe in ourselves sometimes. It's amazing. And don't miss this though. Before Elijah gets marching orders for where he's to go and what he's to do, please don't miss this. He has to allow God to serve him and to attend to him. Are you so busy serving Jesus that you're missing Jesus? Are you so busy serving Jesus that you're missing Jesus? I would say that it is those who have been served by Jesus who make the best servants for Jesus. Why? Because you're not doing it out of some need to prove yourself, but you're doing it out of an overflow. I'm telling you, I don't know who you are, but you need to hear. When you give a gift that you don't have, you are giving a dangerous and false gift. A gift given more out of a need to prove, to validate yourself than to truly care for those in need, and that is not loving. How do you share the love of Christ with people when you've experienced that love for yourself? You and I will never be able to live the great commandment to love our neighbor unless we have been allowed to be loved without any condition. Effective mission, people of God, is born out of a life that says, I have been so served by God, so met with God, and so filled with God that I don't need to validate myself and to prove myself by doing effective mission. Can I get an amen? Here's a really sobering passage before I go on real quick. And I can't say this enough to many of us in our 20s and 30s who've made activism a form of an idol. 1 Peter 4.11, whoever serves should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. How many of us here would say, I desire in all of my life to glorify God? Anybody? How many of us are saying, the desire and the aim of my life is to give God glory in all that I do? You know what this verse is saying? This verse says, whoever does the work gets the glory. So if you're doing God's work out of your strength, who's doing the work? Who's doing the work? You are. So who gets the glory? You do. Let me say it again. If you're doing God's work out of your strength and your ability and your wisdom and your expertise, you are doing the work and you get the glory. But what happens when all of a sudden we go, I will allow God to attend, I will allow God to serve, I will allow God to fill me, so whatever work that I do, he does the work out of his strength and his wisdom. Do you know what happens? People will look at the work that you and I do and they will not declare great are you, but they will declare great is your God. Please let Jesus serve you, not just when you get saved, but every day of your life so that he gets all the glory. Can I get an amen? Verse 8. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. I'll be quick about this because if you were here last week, I spent an entire Sunday talking about this. When the angel says, I'm going to feed you and serve you, because the journey, the journey is too much just for you. The, the, the preparation and the provision of God was for this. Let me show you the map. Remember we saw this last week? 
Here's where Elijah's going. He's going from top of that long, elongated circle all the way to the bottom tip right here, which is Mount Sinai. The journey that Elijah will go on for 40 days and 40 nights is through what? Not one, two, three, four, but five desert. The desert of Sin, the desert of Shur, the desert of Paran, the eastern desert, and of course the desert of Sinai. The only way that Elijah will get to encounter God is through what? Say it with me. Can I ask you a question? If Jesus has to journey through the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, are you exempt from that journey? That's uh, not a rhetorical question. Participate. Are we exempt from the journey? Do you know how often we see in Scripture Moses, Jesus, men and women of God journeying for 40 days, and it's not some magical number, but it's biblical, days and nights, because Scripture says this, the only way to God is a journey through the darkness. What are you talking about, Peter? In the stillness of the desert, when we're not performing, perfecting, achieving. In that stillness, we come face to face with how much our identity is wrapped in what we do. In the silence of the desert, when you and I are no longer privy to the voices that we've become addicted to, Voices we've become attached to. Voices we've looked at to validate, to affirm, to tell us who we are. When those voices are no longer heard, we come to grips with how much we rely on what people say and think about us. We worry way too much about what people say which is evidence that we don't care enough about what God says and inability to be still before God because we're dependent on the voices of other people. We confront that in the desert. Who are you when the applause of the world stops? Who are you when there aren't those voices of people telling you how amazing you are, how wonderful you are. And in the poverty of the desert, the desert of nothingness, I'm confronted with how much I've lived my life finding my identity in what I have, how much I define success by what the world says. See, the desert, friends, when we are alone and silent and still, the desert is where we finally confront our false self, and that false self goes to die. And it doesn't happen in a single moment or 
some pivotal event in our lives. But I really see it as happening as a series of minor deaths. Jesus himself said, if anyone wants to follow me, let him what? Carry the cross daily. Follow me. Here's why we've been on this for six weeks.